Hello. Chat. I need a dark mode. I can fix this. I can just turn the dark mode on the escape. Yeah, I know what you mean. I always like have to look after the baby first thing in the morning when it's still dark. And I want to look at my laptop. But half the websites are all like white and bathe my face. Mm-hmm. And might wake her up. I don't have that problem. I, just, I, I get woken up by dogs licking their buttholes. Two of them. Well, I have a small dog. He likes to sit on the top of my couch right next to my ear and lick his butthole. <laughs> it's still not as loud as my dogs. Well, anyway, it looks like we're live. So hello, chat. Welcome to Slightly Something Else, where Nick is joining us thanks to a sudden unexpected bout of poorliness on Marty's part. Unfortunate. But uh, that's okay, because the topic, some video game franchises could probably use a break, leads us inexorably to the topic of uh, Halo Infinite, I'd say. Nick? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta rub the salt in my wound even more. Well, I said, it, I said it last time, but uh, calling it infinite was kind of tempting fate, wasn't it? Uh, it? It seems like every game that calls itself infinite is tempting fate these days. It's a, Yeah, it's a pretty standard subtitle word, isn't it? Right Unfortunately, with, I think they're learning to, that's revolution. a bad word to use. Yeah. Or maybe they're not. Maybe you'll be making an extra punctuation video in a year from now about tee-hee-ha, the games industry never learns about using the word infinite. Oh, well, it's true, they never learn. Uh, increasingly, it feels clear to me that even if your sole objective is to just make all the money in the world, the games industry are really shit at it at this point. Even if they're just completely cynically solely money motivated, they don't really seem to know how to do that properly. Yeah, uh, even, even the games they designed to make infinite money they end up abandoning after a while i mean battlefront 2 went that way <laughs> i think it's possible that going in with the intention of having your game generate infinite money in the way of going into like a cinematic universe with the intention that you're going to be a cinematic universe always sort of falls flat yeah well i mean when you've talked to marty before about like marvel they kind of like and like accidentally ended up there like they had their plan but who know if it, who knew if it was going to work yeah, and now, uh, and now that it does work, it's like, how do you move away from that and not follow that formula? Because like you're stuck in it forever. It's when you go in assuming to succeed, and that sort of thing happens, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, it's a uh, <laughs> it's an interesting time. Actually, it's it's funny that I ended up on this podcast because I just recorded um, my first episode of Beyond the Pixels with uh, three people that previously worked on uh, Call of Duty and Apex Legends. And how Apex Legends was like just, they they didn't know what it was going to do. And then it was just overnight a success. And then they're like, oh, fuck. Now what do we do? <laughs> yeah. What has that game been doing lately? I still, haven't heard much. Still mucking it, along? Still mucking along. It's dropping new seasons every once in a while. And millions of people still play it. And the mobile game is making big bucks. Ooh. It's almost like people are refreshed by new IPs. Uh, yeah, until they, they're they asked to work on it forever and then burn out in six months and leave. I suppose. <laughs> so. I think it's unreasonable to ask all you just to commit to multiple live services. That's the big flaw in the whole industry, isn't it? That's why oh, yeah. uh, every MMO that tried to compete with World of Warcraft died. You don't want to have to relearn everything if you're that into MMOs. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, I mean, that's, you know, you look at Sony and how they're like, yeah, we have 10 to 15 live service games in development. Like, who is going to play all these? Yeah, who's got time for that? And even Epic's figuring it out, because I think uh, it sounds like they're going to be shutting down Rumbleverse this week, which only launched, like, not even a year ago. The name rings a bell. (laughs) It's like, it's a battle royale that's a beat-em-up. Okay. Okay, yeah. I think I remember this now. Mm-hmm. See, you know, I'd understand that if they were saying they were bringing out 10, 15 live services and they would all serve different audiences who like different gameplay. Like one of them's right. a shooter and one of them's a platformer and one of them's tennis. But they're all just grindy shooters. Yep. Uh, uh, Frost did that preview for the first Ascendant, which is a new game from Nexon, which basically looks like if Outriders and Destiny had a baby, and I guarantee that's not going to do very well. And uh, Ooh, it's just... Is there shooting and grinding in it? <laughs> that's all there is in it. It's the same thing every time. Like, I don't know... I don't know how you differentiate these games. And you know, so, know it's the same story. The games that really cause a stir are the stuff that are doing, like, interesting story stuff, not the stuff that's just another live service shit. Yep. So, let's get closer to the actual topic. What video game franchises have been going on a bit uh, too long in your uh, in your mind? See, it's I have an interesting take on this one where I almost don't think any game fr- franchises really need to take a break uh, because there's just so many options to play other things that if like I can personally take a break, but if other people don't want to, you know, they're going to keep playing them. Well, wow. perhaps we should rephrase that. Yeah. Perhaps we should say that uh, it would do certain game franchises good if they took a break. Pokemon is definitely the one that comes to mind right away. I think I once said uh, that the thing about nostalgia is that only really works if the thing you're nostalgic for went away for a time. Because mm-hmm. it must be like almost coming up on like 20 years of Assassin's Creed. Yeah, well, we, we've come full circle on Assassin's Creed because they started off as open world, like basically linear adventures set in an open world. Yeah. And then you got the historical RPGs. And now with Assassin's Creed Mirage, they're saying they're going back to their roots, which is, you know, a smaller open world linear adventure. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now, and then we're getting, we're getting both now is what they're saying with Assassin's oh, Creed Mirage. God. And then you have, you know, the upcoming Code Red or Code Jade or whatever it is uh, for the big expansive, you know, historical RPG that they do now. It's and I feel, like, I feel like we're going to start seeing that out, out of a lot more franchises, because even, even Pokemon kind of did that with Arceus and then now Violent Scarlet, Scarlet where like the franchises have taken a break, but let's give people options within a franchise. Yeah. But we're at the point that you can't really get excited when they say we're making a new Assassin's Creed game, because your first reaction would probably be, well, we figured. Mm-hmm. We figured, because you always are. There's always another one coming. It's like fucking Madden. And if they just, like, if they stopped at Assassin's Creed 2, like, if they're in Assassin's Creed 2, maybe, like, Brotherhood and Revelations, let let that whole mess peter out. And then maybe if they made 3, and then everyone realised how boring it was, and then if they just stopped, they just made an unconnected pirate game instead of Assassin's Creed 4. Yeah, and well, then, that's uh, what uh, Marty and I got into a pretty big argument over um, Assassin's Creed as a franchise. Is like, 
because I my my take on Assassin's Creed is like at this point it is just a brand name because well, yeah nobody gives a shit about the 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 running story of Assassin's Creed because nobody even knows what it is anymore. No. I think the only thing that people get about excited about Assassin's Creed these days is it's a historical RPG in X setting, whether it's Egypt or Vikings or Japan. Like that's what people are excited about. And Marty's case was like, well, that you know they're still excited for the Assassin's Creed part of it. I was like, I don't, nobody knows what it is though. Yeah, what does Assassin's Creed mean? Yeah, I mean if it's like. A stealth action open world with crafting and collectibles that's every triple a game that's go <laughs> yeah, to tsushima yeah. that's that's most far cries these days as well right which is another franchise that could use a bit of a sleep yeah far, far cry i would after because I've, I've been a huge fan of far cry since two i've played all of them up until six yeah i wasn't that into i was that into two i really liked three. Oh, i, I loved two um Three, three is a huge step above it for me, for sure. Um, mm. But yeah, like six rolled around, and that's where I kind of checked out. I was like, I because you and I were on the post ZP for that game. I just got bored, mm. like five mile, five hours into it, I was bored of it already. It's a yeah, it's a formula. It's I think a lot of I think a lot of these long running franchises just find a formula, rehash the formula in a new setting with a few new upgrades, and and just expect that people will continue to buy it, and they do. People Which is why played, I don't think they're going to ever take a break on these things. <laughs> there are mixed feelings surrounding Far Cry 5, but I always think that felt like uh, tying up that franchise. That felt like yeah. uh, you're taking the concept of like the sort of magical realism uh, struggle against an oppressive force in like an enclosed sandbox and bringing it sort of home. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, then it ends pretty conclusively with a fucking nuclear apocalypse spoiler alert and that felt like a sort of natural conclusion for the progress of the series you'd seen from like far cry i won't say far cry 1 because that was practically a different game far cry 2 to far cry 4 yeah sort of weird process it had been under it was it was always like a uh, westernized dude lands in strange place and by bringing it into like a an like American setting, it was sort of a, a coming home, a homecoming, if you will. <laughs> but then Far Cry Six just felt like uh, just more of it, just more of the stuff that had already been done to death by prior installments. It's tropical islands again. It's oppressive regimes again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I don't. I, it, you know, like I was kind of saying, it's kind of hard to say, like. Because people had this argument about Call of Duty for years about mm. should Call of Duty take a break and change things up, and then they did, and then people didn't like it, and now they're coming back around to it. I was like, oh yeah, Advanced Warfare is great, and people love it. I'm like, wait, what? Everybody <laughs> didn't like that game when it came yeah. out. Yeah, nobody uh, liked Advanced Warfare. That, yeah, was, I, that was in what I've previously called the Sorcerer's Apprentice phase of that series, <laughs> where someone said, let's make Modern Warfare, and then nobody told them to stop. So yeah. they just went to the natural conclusion, modern warfare, then near future warfare, then future warfare, all the same shit, ultimately. Well, and Call of Duty is another franchise that's come full, full circle on itself because it's basically make it, making its own multiverse now because Cold War yeah. and uh, Modern Warfare are connected in some form, I think, now. I don't know if, Van I don't know if Vanguard has any connection to it, but it's all... You know call of duty shared universe stuff now and once you enter that shared universe the franchise continues on forever why can't world war Two be the shared universe 
I mean, that was, seemed to serve pretty well up to this point. It's a, it's a popular setting. Yeah. <laughs> well, with, like, with distinct, you say that. With distinct you say characters that, but in it. Call of Duty World War Two didn't do super, didn't do super <sighs> well. <laughs> See, when a game uh, ceases to become sort of a brand being refreshed for the modern age and just becomes a sort of sine wave, Mm -hmm. This one was good, then it started getting shit, and then it got good again, and then it got shit, and then it got good again. You sort of kill the hype. You kill, uh, the, you turn it into like zombie Simpsons. And yeah, you, and maybe, I, maybe for maybe for us, but I don't know about you know the average person that plays those games. Just I want my new fix every year. You know, I'm just increasingly of the opinion that. Uh, the way AAA studios are set up, there's no actual human decision-making going on anymore. It's just, this made money, so the corporation says we need to make another one. I don't feel like there's someone on high, like, saying, you know what, it would be a good idea to make another Call of Duty that's exactly the same as the last one. I think that would be a bold, fresh direction for our company. I don't <laughs> believe there's anyone actually saying that. I believe the things coming out of the AAA industry is just this sort of, like, residue that comes off these turning wheels of bureaucracy yeah i, I think you would find my my conversation that i had uh for beyond the pixels pretty interesting because i mean they were you know one of them one of the people i talked to was drew mccoy who was the uh one of the top leads on apex legends and basically you know his he's started a new he's now started a new studio called gravity well away from you know the still a triple-A studio, but it's not backed by EA or anything like that. Mm. Um, and basically, when you're working with those multi-million dollar budgets, like you have to, you know, obviously kind of focus on your return on investment with shareholders and everything that looking over your shoulder. And so I think that's kind of where we've gotten to with triple-A is like these budgets and the amount of return expected have just gotten so ballooned like how much risk can you really take anymore yeah it's when you have to work uh, like exclusively through precedent so yeah this you're, you're creating past. a product at that point yeah. not art you know another thing that can only work through with through precedent is an ai hmm. and it feels like it's just an ai making all this shit now it's all <laughs> ai generated procedurally generated from yeah they took all the previous call of duty games and packed all the data into a big system and they algorithm new games out of it every couple of years yeah uh... hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Marty Marty's also working on a piece uh, based on a comment that a Ubisoft developer made uh, when they were talking about all the cancellations because they, they just canceled like <laughs> five five games i think that were in development and they were probably all these like free-to-play you know battle royales shooters that they all had and i mean they still have a ton on the way but i mean within the past year they canceled uh ghost recon front lines they canceled this game called project q they've taken the prince of persia remake back to the drawing board they've See, got yeah two in this... development called x defiant which is literally it looks like call of duty 
and it has nothing unique about it. Also, the dumbest name I've ever yeah. heard for a game on the, on the planet. X Defiant? Uh, X Defiant. That's literally the so name. So you were defiant, but not anymore? Or you're extremely defiant towards no, 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 someone no, no. you used it's to not, go out it's with? Not, it's not EX Defiant. It's just X. The letter X Defiant. See, I just assume that was like a spin-off <laughs> of the X series of indie space oh, exploration no. games. Oh, no. It's just Call of Duty, Ubisoft style. Uh, but uh, but in those in those calls where like the the studio was talking about the cancellations and every or the publisher was talking about the cancellations, one of the developers like literally said like AAA is supposed to be the trendsetters, not the following of the trends. When has and, that and like, been? When has that actually been the case? When has it ever been? AAA has sets the trends and doesn't just nick all its new ideas from the indie sphere. When was that ever the case? Far Cry Three. <laughs> whether you like that trend or not <laughs> even far cry 3 was like removing certain innovations from far cry 2 yeah well and that's you know it's kind of funny like when you think back to like franchises that did innovate and do something cool none of them exist anymore like when that why the fuck haven't we gotten like a new red faction gorilla with that destruction tech that was in that game no game has really picked up on destruction they had and to add the new graphics tech, and the graphics new graphics tech was too processor intensive to have that kind of destruction <laughs> physics anymore. No, they took, they took Armageddon underground and then forgot about the destruction that made the game unique. Yeah, <laughs> that was a weird one. Armageddon, another great subtitle word there. <laughs> I gotta, good. I just think you know. When we talk about this, we always go back to the eye rolling excuse that, oh, the corporations are just doing the thing that makes the money. But I can't, I feel like we're at the point where that's not the case anymore. I, no. I find it hard to believe that God of War Ragnarok uh, feels like a reasonable turn, return of investment. When you could, like, have split the budget into, like, five different projects and release them, like, one, at least one a year over five years over the time it took to develop God of War Ragnarok. And surely, like, that would have probably made an equivalent profit. If not more. Yeah. Is that naive of me to say? I feel like... God of, it just well, feels I like God of War Ragnarok feels like such a money sink, though, and it's so... And everyone complains that it's too long. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like Sony's an outlier right now because they don't have that live service game yet, and that's what they're working on in spades to try to enter that market. I'll say one thing for Sony. They've resisted that market for a very long time. You know, anymore, like, they're, going, they're going two feet into that. Yeah, that so Sony exclusives you could usually rely upon to offer some kind of decent single player experience. Mm -hmm. but, uh, well, uh, what would you say about Microsoft then? Because Microsoft, at least I've, they have a bunch of live service games. I feel like they all do something different though. Between Grounded, you have Sea of Thieves, you have State of Decay, you have Halo, you have Forza. Like, they kind of do what you said about hitting all those different markets. Well, yeah, I'd say Microsoft are probably uh, leading by example at this point. I mean, there's that Hi-Fi Rush thing that everyone seems to like. I haven't played it yeah. yet, but from what I've heard, I've heard, it sounds like something I'd like. I'm going to try that out this afternoon when you're <laughs> done jabbering at me. <laughs> All right, well, okay, so back to franchises we think should take a break. Assassin's Creed. Yes, have a, have a nice long sleep, Assassin's Creed. So, Far Cry. So pretty much anything that Ubisoft makes needs to take, Ubisoft needs to take a break. 
Yeah. Well, you know, Ubisoft is sort of like what Sierra was in the age of the 90s point and click adventure. Just keep churning them out. Maybe every now and again, the stars will align and some, something will come across really, really well. Otherwise, you'd at least make some kind of baseline income. So uh, what about Nintendo? Nintendo's franchises have run in forever, but they seem to always hit quality and I feel like they just do just enough or more than enough. I don't know. Well, I said in my uh, extra punctuation about tone uh, that the difference between Sonic and Mario and why mm-hmm. Sonic is kind of a joke and Mario is still going strong is that Mario reinvents itself so that it will so that it continually appeals to a new generation of youngsters. Whereas Sonic has just tried to latch onto the same fan base over the years and has mm-hmm. just turned into a complete mess. Mario doesn't give a shit if there's Mario fans who like buy every Mario game up until they're the age of 45. <laughs> Mario's just doing its thing for its very specific intended audience. But Mario as a franchise tends to stay relatively fresh by adding in some big new mechanic on every game they release. Yeah, well, with the tentpole ones, certainly. Yeah. There's, uh, which I would classify as... Uh, you know, Mario World, Mario 64, Super Mario Sunshine, Mario Galaxy, Mario Galaxy 2, and Mario Odyssey. Mm-hmm. There's the there's the side stuff, like the new Super Mario Brothers series, which I always feel like is rooted more in nostalgia for old, for like the, the classic Mario style. Yeah. And you got the sort of totally out there spin-offs, like your Mario RPGs and your and your sports games. It's like so- the one case of a mascot still working. Mm-hmm. Mascots were a big around like the 32-bit era when uh, Crash Bandicoot and Jack and Daxter and uh, Spyro the Dragon and all of those were still around. But for some reason they just sort of stopped. Mascots, mascot platformers were big on the PS1 and then dead. It's just because platformers stopped selling. (laughs) I I guess. I I guess. The FPS era rolled around and that was kind of all anybody wanted to really play. I guess one could put that down to the shift from 2D to 3D being less friendly for towards platforming mechanics. Mm-hmm. And uh, fun, fun, funnily enough, though, like we are getting a pretty big resurgence of that in the indie sector right now. Well, it took a bit lot of iterating, but people figured out how to make platforming work, I suppose. Some of some of them did, yeah. But. Yeah, I, you know, I, Nintendo's interesting because at least I think franchise in general, as long as they, I don't know if they need to take a break, they just need to keep things fresh and maybe stretch outside of their comfort zone. Yeah, see, Nintendo's kind of all over the place with that because on the one hand, you have your Mario's and your Zelda's, and then then you have Pokemon, which yeah. is another thing that really feels like it could use a break. Yeah, po- and that's like that's the annoying part too, is like every... At least Arceus and Violet and Scarlet like have kernels of really, really good stuff in there. But because they don't give themselves enough time to develop it and they have to yeah. use it every yeah. release, it's like, you know, if you took the three you know, took the three or four years and just stopped selling them for a bit, maybe it do really a remaster does feel like something. something that's uh, pretty drastically spread itself thin. Yeah. I mean well, even just funny. by looking at them, they always look the the look of Pokemon games these days just feels so insipid. Like no one's yeah. really putting the effort in for the amount of money Game Freak makes. Yeah, they most most people would make that argument. Yeah. Uh, it, it, what's interesting right now is uh, the creature collector genre is picking up a ton of steam. I know. I've been seeing a lot of indie like uh, creature collecting shit. 
Yeah, there was another another really good looking one that just got funded on Kickstarter. Uh, da, 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 it's called what's it called? It's called Blumentail. Literally, it's not even done with the Kickstarter campaign, but it just just got wrapped up and. I feel it's like eventually yeah. these franchises go on for so long that it's kind of funny that the indie scene will actually pick at the bones of that franchise, take what was good about it, and then make something new and fresh from it. There's a lot of nostalgia in the indie sphere, and this feels like uh, people who grew up on Pokemon coming of age and making the games they want to play. <laughs> yeah, realizing that, like, hey, Pokemon's not as great as I thought it was. Can yeah. make it better? <laughs> if making I have to go through another two-hour fucking tutorial? Making their dream Pokemon games that they always wanted. Um, you know, that's how it works, you know. AAA mm -hmm. feeds into the indies, and the indies feed into AAAs, and it's all a wonderful cycle of exploitation that yeah, fuels most creative industries, arguably. Yeah, Vinny the Web Surface says, Pokemon games are a slave to the Pokemon marketing campaign, marketing machine. There are no breaks unless a game finally comes out that bombs. I don't even think, I don't think it's possible for Pokemon to bomb. No, isn't it like, didn't it like surpass Mario in terms of money making, like many, many years ago? Oh, yeah. It's the biggest IP in the world. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah, I mean that's kind of the, the insidious part about it too is like even if there are creative people at those studios shareholders never want the money to stop flowing and so you know you're you're got the chain you're chained to these you know release schedules that are just don't make sense anymore on a creative level but you know when all that matters at that point is the money and i feel like you can feel that in most franchises that end up in that route where it just you know it is all about the money and that's all that it is yeah so when you think about Nintendo, though, I think part of the reason why Mario and like Zelda and shit managed to stay fresh is because Nintendo does like continually innovate its hardware. Mm -hmm. And I was just thinking that if, if if you could make every franchise that's currently overdone sort of go to sleep until the next significant update in gaming technology, they'd probably benefit from that because there's only so much innovation you can do when you've got basically photorealistic graphics and... Uh, a standard dual stick controller. Yeah. If you, well, want to drive, if you want to drive like freshness, you want you start with like the fundamental ways where you play a game. Yeah. Well, uh, in interestingly enough, it's a, I just finished Death Stranding yesterday. Um. Yeah, you've been, you've <laughs> you've uh, I noticed on Twitter you've uh, suddenly found like uh, a new lease on life as a Death Stranding fanboy. <laughs> Uh, no, it's just it's just one of those games, and I, I have an article pending on it. it. It's, I think on the it, on the outside, it looks very walking simulator, very boring and everything. Uh, but it actually changed the way I view open world games now that I've finished it, and where like the world itself is an active participant in the gameplay and not just set dressing in a place you walk around in. Well, there you go. I think a lot uh, of people are scared off by Hideo Kojima's story writing, though. I, yeah, as one of those people, I actually got most of Death Stranding's story on a first playthrough. So, really? Maybe uh, I should yeah. have actually finished it. Maybe it all comes together in the end. Uh, I, I think it does. Okay. Uh, it, there's, there's still like a lot of weirdness in there. Um, yeah. P piss but over grenades. time, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah. So having fun with your piss grenades. Who can tell you you're wrong? Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> there's a, the game does end up explaining that by the end. And why why all that makes sense so i don't know he still it's definitely kojima's story but it all 
If I was smart enough to understand it, I think the average person is probably smart enough to get it. Well, a lot of the Death Stranding, like, uh, core concept is something I'm trying to bring across in Star Trek Vagabond, of course. Well, then you uh, should sort of, go back and finish it. So it's less <laughs> about, you know, uh, a grindy action combat core loop and more about just vibing. Just mm-hmm. vibing across the game. I g- sort of... Step, just walking your little stepping stones towards the next plot event, but in between it's just you're just doing a job and get it done right. That's why I always like get on well with post dad games like Hard Space mm. Shipbreaker. I just like games where you feel like you're achieving something. Yeah, that's that's what Death Stranding ended up doing for me. But uh, on the on the main topic, I know I know everybody wants you to roast me on Halo, uh, uh, which. At this point, I'm going to agree that Halo should probably go back to the drawing board again. I feel like we're just suffering from relativity. I don't dislike Halo. You really like it, and I seem down on it by comparison. There are aspects of Halo Infinite I quite liked, mainly the grappling Mm -hmm. hook. (laughs) I could could live with a a full-on Halo Infinite open world. That's kind of that's not really what Halo Infinite was, though. It was a bunch of open worlds connected by very long corridors. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, that, that's what Infinite. I feel like I still feel like Halo Infinite's a better Far Cry than Far Cry at this point. Well, you say that because it's got Halo on it. I, I now the Far Cry's whole mission design and combat structure is just boring. <laughs> Well, There's no, you can just you can just sit on a hill and pick everything off and and not have to actually get up in the action to do anything or, you know. Well, that's uh, been the case since Far Cry Three, really. Although, yeah, I, I didn't really feel like Halo Infinite was doing that much different to just copy pasted base assaults and combat missions, which is no, what, yeah, what I feel it, like it definitely, about. yeah, it definitely didn't. Um, but I, I guess if I had to put it down to one thing, it would just be combat flow. Okay. Yeah, at Far Cry and Far Cry just really doesn't have that. And I'm it, glad Halo as a franchise never really uh, gave into the temptation to be a cover shooter, like yeah, what a lot of shooters throughout its life uh, tried to be. I mean, I remember when I was like in like the the depths of the cover shooting heyday, I picked up a Halo game and I was like, oh, I'm actually really enjoying this because I can dodge projectiles and <laughs> the game assumes I'm smart enough to how to use a bit of wall as cover without gluing me to the fucking thing. Mm-hmm. You know, you know what's kind of funny is like we didn't, you know, Platinum Games made Vanquish and then mm. no other like third person shooters really focused on movement as a mechanic. This, I might get some flack for saying this, but I think High on Life takes some good influence from Vanquish. Really? Yeah, you unlock, you literally unlock a, a rocket-powered skates move where you can zip around the battlefield. Oh, didn't know that. Yeah, well, it takes a while to get into it. But yeah, uh, if you're looking for, like, a post-Vanquish game, which I agree, that doesn't do much of, then that's one place you can see it. Mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. 
Yeah, first-person shooters tried to innovate on movement. People just kind of rioted against it because Titanfall, uh, mm. Infinite Warfare, Advanced Warfare. Titan, most people like Titanfall too. Oh, people do. I think it's just you know the the movement systems just haven't made their way into many other games like Halo, Halo Five. Well, if we're talking about uh, fast-paced movement in first person, then uh, Neon White, Ghost Runner, the Indies are make making a meal of it. That's true. That's true. Well, that's where we come full circle. It's always the Indies that end well, up innovating on what AAA does. There you go. <laughs> I think but I now we're getting that new wave. Of we're getting that fresh new wave of AAA studios, though, that aren't tied to the major publishers. I'm, you know, the next three to five years, we might be having this conversation again, and maybe AAA does become the trendsetters, and it's just the big publishers that are, you know, money focused, and that's it. Well, the cycle has to come around sooner or later. Like, yeah. like we keep saying, AAA is unsustainable. What do you think is going to happen? This big, it's not going to be like a big apocalyptic end of video games. It just means all the big studios get broken up into little ones when the actual talents piss off. And then all the little ones make interesting, innovative stuff, and there's like a wave of cool, innovative games for a while. And then it all starts happening again. So, yeah. I guess we can all look forward to uh, an upcycle fairly soon. <laughs> I think we're already there. I think I think it really is just the major... I think the major publishers are stuck in this loop of we gotta have... We all have to have our killer franchise that just prints money... Yes, they're trapped by the bureaucracy. They're the AI, but they're the AI that are stuck in a while loop that doesn't have an actual conclusion. Uh, Bit of programming reference for you uh, Cody bods out there. You know know what is funny, though? Uh, I I bet you can't guess which publisher is kind of bucking that trend a little bit. Well, we already established Microsoft uh, doing the spreading the budgets out thing. Yeah, besides Microsoft. Well, I wouldn't say Square Enix, because yeah. I'm reviewing Forspoken at the moment, and <laughs> for crikey, that game's a pile of shit. All right, surprise me. Yay. Well, that was a, probably a, the, towards the bottom of my list, but it makes sense. I mean, we haven't heard from them in a while, it feels like. Yeah, well, you've got they've, their lineup is uh, you've got Dead Space coming, you have Jedi Survivor coming, you have Mass Effect coming, you have Dragon Age coming. I don't know. You're just listing off a load of remakes and sequels, there, man. You know, I'm not. Well, they are they are remakes and sequels, but they aren't service games, service focused games. And it's most of them we haven't heard from in a while. Yep. Oh, and Dead Space is just a remake, which I don't know. Yeah, well, I guess it's been long enough that everyone forgot the the original. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, everybody's been asking for Dead Space to come back forever. We'll see if they take the same path of you know if they remake two and then. Maybe maybe three gets the redemption. I guess they want to they want yeah they want to treat Dead Space like the Halloween series. They just say do like the first game and the second game, and then pretend everything after that didn't happen, and we'll just make a new Dead Space three <laughs> that can be the actual sequel. I you know it's it's an easy way to win brownie points. <laughs> yeah, what would you call what do you call? There's got to be a name for that where you go back to like to do like a soft reboot I'm as a sequel to. But specifically the case where it's a sequel to some of the previous installments, but not all of them. Like with Halloween. Uh, yeah, uh, like Christopher's option, a requel. Yeah, that works. <laughs> Shall we go to Super Chats? I think we should. Alrighty. Starting with the Climate Change Barbarian, who gives 279 
and asks, Nick, will the Escapist ever get its own app? Oh, Christ, I hope not. Uh, uh, no, probably not. <laughs> it's probably not a use for it. That feels no, like a bit old hat. Oh, um, yeah. That's... For a while, everything got its own app, but I feel like we're past that. Yeah, I mean, sometimes I think about it because it might be useful for like how many videos we publish, but when you can just go to YouTube, I feel like it, it wouldn't be worth the investment. Yeah, just follow us on YouTube, follow us on Twitter. That works. Mm -hmm. If you want to, if you you want your phone to tell you when the Escapist content's coming out, ring that up, ring that bell on the channel because YouTube doesn't notify you otherwise. Back in Nam gives four ninety nine says, "Let's all groan at an industry that never learns anything." Tee hee hee. At this point, it's not even laughable or fun to point out anymore. Well, quite. That's why I feel like we're in like the latter stages of this phase of the gaming cycle, which is which means we'll probably get some good games soon. Hopefully, in the next few years. Assuming we are, we haven't all been killed in economic disaster and climate change catastrophe. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel. I don't know. I'm more. I'm more optimistic about the games right now, uh, just because of all the the new studios popping up that are getting funding from outside sources that aren't the major publishers. This is exactly what happened in Brisbane when I was living there. Because I was friendly yeah. with a lot of the game developers there, and for a while there was like tax incentives for studios, like big studios, to have an office there. So there was a there was a THQ office, like Chrome had an office, Pandemic had an office, but then suddenly out of nowhere it stopped. That stopped being viable, and uh, all the big studios shut down one by one. And then Brisbane became like this mecca for indie developers. There was like five thousand of them. Developers of Half Brick were based there. Developers of Hand of Fate were based there. All chums of mine. I, yeah, I feel, I feel like we are at the. I think we're entering the end stages of live service being the end all be all. Just considering EA's current lineup is really kind of devoid of them. It's got. Almost, there's almost no goodwill. There's almost no goodwill towards live service anymore. You just can't well, hype them. That's the problem. Well, then you just can't compete because you, I mean, if you're going to compete in that space, you have to pull away audiences from Fortnite and Warzone and Apex and yeah, Warframe. Stuff. And it's That's, like, you know, yeah. how how much investment are you willing to put in to pull those people away? Yeah, and as we said, they could never pull the audience away from World of Warcraft back when MMOs were a thing. Live service yeah, are just I mean, the new MMOs. There'll be, there'll be new trends soon enough. Believe it, even in the MMO space, like <laughs> how many successful MMOs have you seen pop up over the last few years? Like everybody thought New World was going to be the next big thing because the numbers were massive at the start, and it's kind yeah, of died off. Yeah, that, that sort of sort of kind of spectacularly burned out. Yeah, it, it's you know I, I feel like we're at we're almost at that point where like they're they're just the the competitors are just too big to compete against. Yeah. Especially when you have Destiny in the space, and you know, I, just watch how many. I'm I'm really curious to see how it plays out for Sony because I can't imagine more than a couple of those 15 games they have in the works are going to be successful, and it's going to be really dumb to see that happen. Like, why, <laughs> you know? Because you have the Last of Us one coming. You know, there's a Horizon one coming. You've got, you know, Sucker Punch is probably working on something. You have oh, all these the Last of Us still studios. A, is the Last of Us still a video game franchise? I thought it finally found its oeuvre. <laughs> yeah they've got the the big multiplayer project in the works look it's it's figured it out okay it was always just a perfectly good 80 hour tv show <laughs> let's like just move on from that embarrassing time when it was trying to be a video game 
Anyway, Can Alex I Warrenberg gives $2 and says, they can't, otherwise they can't, otherwise we might forget they exist. What way, Alex Warrenberg? I think if something goes past a certain threshold of quality, you could always bring it back. I think... And then, and then when always, you do, it's a yeah. big marketing for you too. Yeah. Like, if you reach the level of something like... Like Super Mario, you could always bring out a new one of that, and people will mm -hmm. always buy it. Yeah. Yeah, I think... Uh, yeah, Frost's recent cold take on um, the immortal, the immortal game. I think I think Pokemon is like absolutely one of those immortal franchises where you could slap Pokemon on anything and people will eat it up. Yeah. Same with Call of Duty. Same with Fortnite. At this point, you know. after a while, it becomes a sort of feedback loop. People mm -hmm. love it so much, and then they're nostalgic for it. Then they bring it back, and then create a new generation of people who are nostalgic for it. Yep, nostalgia and the fear of missing out. There you go. Lord Law gives 20 euros and says, I remember when AC1 came out, I thought it was just a neat new application of Prince of Persia's parkour-style traversal. We should go back to that, where they just make new games spun off from ideas that worked before. Yeah, I remember feeling like Assassin's Creed 1 felt like sort of a follow-up to Prince of Persia's parkour, sort of more it realistic parkour. Uh, it originally wasn't a Prince of Persia game. I can believe that, because it was set in Persia, and <laughs> yeah. there was parkour in it. <laughs> yep. Prince of Persia, the Santa Time trilogy was always about very uh, sort of fantasy parkour, running along walls and jumping off walls and sort of crazy stuff, going with the sort of mythic Arabian fantasy sort of vibe. But Assassin's Creed felt very grounded. Assassin's Creed 1 did, at least. Yeah. It's one of the... Prince of Persia is one of those franchises I, I keep meaning to play and just haven't gotten around to. I think it's probably aged a bit. It might be hard oh, to yeah. go back to one, from a modern perspective. Yeah, one, I, I was playing one on my uh, Steam Deck through my PS++. Uh, <laughs> it was kind of rough. I think one was, uh, it was more the story that made people like it. Mm -hmm. It's got some very charismatic performances. Uh, the gameplay, it was like sort of pioneering the like the cool flowy parkour stuff, but the combat was kind of shit and it made a couple of other missteps. I think the gameplay was perfected in the next two games, but they never got back to the heights of the story that the first game had you know so you know it's an ups and downs sort of series if i wait another five years i can maybe play the modern remake of it yeah which might be good <laughs> unless they put <laughs> equipment crafting in it which let's face it they probably will we'll see uh, uh sp screw 2000 gives two euros and says halo needs a break a permanent one you go away you oh. need a permanent break. You're just trying to get a rise out of him now. <laughs> did you watch the TV show? Yes. I know. What did you think of that? Was that like a, a bold continuation of the IP? Uh, as I'm watching the Last of Us show and seeing how good that is, when I go back and think about how the Halo show ended up, I kind of want to throw myself out a window. Well, as I said, Last of Us had all question. the work done for it already, didn't it? That's true. The game was literally just a linear movie plot. Yeah. No. When I right, think about right. when, I, when I'm watching The Last of Us show, I'm currently seething and coping inside at how bad Halo was, and I am hurting over it. I wonder if they're going to adapt The Last of Us 2 after The Last of Us 1. Uh, that, that is the plan, yes. And I imagine... I imagine uh, a lot of people are going to go off it when they do that. Well... <laughs> Yeah, you're not. I'm assuming you're not watching the Last of Us show. Uh, no, but episode. I remember like, like the plot of the Last of Us One 
was a little more universal and a little more hopeful. And Last of Us 2 is, just feels like a misery porn fest. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Uh, I almost feel like you might like The Last of Us show a bit because episode 3 last night, when it, it expanded on a story from the first game in a way that was just really, really good. Uh, giving a backstory to Bill and Frank from the first game, which I imagine you don't remember. No, I have no idea who that is. <laughs> he, uh, Bill was the uh, like conspiracy theorist, like gun guy that you meet. He's got all the traps set up. Yeah, I Probably. don't remember that character at yeah. all. I played Probably. The Last of Us 1 once. Yeah, the uh, the story that they gave him in episode 3 last night is like a, a full-on you know, love story, and it was really, really good. Hmm. And I feel like, I feel like, weirdly enough... If this is a trajectory the show is going on, like people are loving it, uh, part two might get a much needed kind of sprucing uh, up, sprucing up and expanding in a way that makes the story better. I don't know. Even the greatest TV shows decline with time. Look at Game of Thrones. Well, The Last of Us is only going to be like three seasons, so. <laughs> I mean, even when it has like a, especially when it has sort of like a meteoric success right at the beginning. Mm hmm. It's hard to keep the uh, the momentum going with that sort of thing. Well, maybe. Yeah, I don't know. That I mean, the guy that's writing the Last of Us show is the guy that wrote uh, Chernobyl for HBO, and he's incredible. So, all right, we'll see. Da -da -da -da. Wesley Thomas gives ten Canadian dollars. Says after the second installment, a franchise is nearly guaranteed to suck. That's not how you spell guaranteed, Wesley Thomas. But I ain't gonna pick <laughs> on you for it. And that's without getting into full price releases worth about as much as a DLC pack, if not free, looking at you, Madden NFL. See, Madden's its own little world. EA Sports has been doing that since, you know, the turn of the millennium. Just leave them to it. Let the sport billies have their weird thing that they like. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's even one of the traps I fall into. I'm like, well, you know, there's maybe enough changes in this 2023 version of the game that I'll be happy with my purchase, and I never am. No. I should have just stuck with like 2006. I would have been just as happy. I think it's fair to say very few franchises continue the quality level from number three onwards. I don't, I don't know if I agree with that. I feel like every every long-running franchise is like, has its down point and then it comes back with a high point and it just yeah, kind of goes like through a, yeah, it's Resident like a family, Evil. It's like a family guide joke. If you keep mm -hmm. if you keep it going long enough, eventually it starts getting funny again because the fact that it's still going on is becomes the joke. <laughs> yeah, it's like Call, Call of Duty's definitely had its ups and downs with some games that are really really not great, and then you know, yeah, like, Call of Duty Ghost as well. Yeah, Call of Duty Ghost is like one of those, uh, and then you know you came back with Infinite Warfare, which people love. Do they? I thought Infinite Warfare was like the moment when everyone said, "All right." pack this no, in. let's go back to the uh, world war two no no people love the campaign in infinite warfare it did a lot different for the franchise in infinite warfare with Jon snow playing the evil terrorist mm -hmm. yeah people love that, that campaign i thought that game was cartoonishly shit <laughs> maybe for a non-call of duty fan well that's that's the problem isn't it yeah, I mean, it, it introduced a lot of new mechanics so well, it, if everyone yeah. loved it why'd they go straight back to world war two after it I assumed that was why they went straight back uh, to World they, War Two after that. Yeah, well, I mean, those games are developed almost simultaneously, so that was planned even before that. But yeah, I mean, everybody oh, okay. wanted World War Two. Uh, well, people, okay. people are asking well, still, what I'm talking still about. There doesn't seem to be any plans to go back to Infinite Warfare. It's just been modern no. warfare remakes. 
yeah, well, I mean, Modern Warfare is sold like crazy, so uh, people are saying I'm wrong, but uh, yeah. maybe, I liked, maybe I liked Call of Duty 4, Modern Warfare 1, the first one, mm-hmm. but then they uh, just kept turning the handle. Yeah, I don't know. People are saying I'm thinking of another one. No, I, I like <laughs> if you check online, like people people liked Call of Duty Infinite Warfare's campaign. They did not like the multiplayer, but people liked the campaign. Evil Jon Snow, like uh, evil Martians, sassy robots. People like that. I guess so. Okay. Oh, well, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> uh, the dogmatic director gives five dollars and says, "If we give a franchise a break, how do we keep the publisher from just making a new IP, just another entry of that same franchise in a trench coat?" Well, maybe they should. The dogmatic director. That's all Ubisoft does. <laughs> Just more open worlds with stealth action, crafting, and collectibles, right? Yeah, you know, I, I'm curious what they're gonna do because uh, remember that Assassin's Creed Infinite is just basically the platform for all the games that they're gonna put out, mm-hmm. and I feel like uh, see so if you, sh- I feel if you shackle, even if it's just like basically the same game with a new IP, the fact that it's not shackled the old IP removes a lot of expectation which works for the game's favour. Like yeah. I've said well, before, that, I mean, I think if they'd, I said before, if they'd called Ghost of Tsushima Assassin's Creed Samurai, people would have accepted no. it as an Assassin's Creed game, and they'd probably have been a le- less kind to it. Mm-hmm. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, and that, that's the argument I have with Marty, is like, I, you know, these, these big expansive historical RPGs, like, that was an easy win to create a new IP and just roll with it and instead they keep you know we gotta sell assassin's creed it's the 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 name sells and it's like just become the studio that makes history themed games you know like one of those prestige movie studios from the 80s well that's that's the annoying part for me is like these games could have really good stories if they weren't trying to yeah just shoehorn it into an assassin's creed to make it work it's, it's like just yeah it's just these like authentic authentic historical setting games because the yeah. uh, the ongoing plot is basically just goodies versus baddies at this point yeah i mean i i couldn't i couldn't tell you jack shit from the, i've played all the assassin's creed games i could not tell you the, the plot from three onwards even well, though i love i love four but i yeah, don't remember three was very much plot. like wrapping up the sort of desmond miles phase of the plot but from that point on it's always just oh, there's a hidden conflict between the Templars and the Assassins, and in the modern era, they're both trying to get hold of an artifact whose location is hidden in the memories of this one historical prat. And then repeat ad nauseum. And also, like, as much as people don't like Assassin's Creed Unity, I remember that story out of that game because it was more of a love story. Yeah, yeah, I've said before, like, it feels like they actually put an effort into exploring the dynamics of this whole Assassins versus Templar thing. And then from mm-hmm. like Syndicate onwards, it was back to Templar's bad, Assassin's good. Yeah, I <laughs> I don't know. I like Valhalla. Valhalla had some like kernels of some like really good stuff in there, and it just never went anywhere. Like there is like a whole love story plot line, and they just 
it resolves and then you don't do anything with it. She just stands in the middle of the room and you give get orders from her. I was like, well, that's great. Like, Probably, <laughs> like, like were you playing like the male or the female? The uh, male Viking. Yeah, the male. Yeah. Well, I guess you, I guess romance could work either way. Just you know, you'd need to characterize them slightly differently, mm -hmm. depending off depending on if they were like in a sort of relationship that would have been approved at the time. Yeah. John, actually, 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 I want to go back and play Unity because I feel like it just. I don't know. I, I, for whatever you reason, wanna, I just remember. You want to play that? Hopefully, it's been patched into serviceability. I, yeah, I was one of the few that didn't have any really issues with it playing it the first time besides performance. So, and I know, I think it's upgraded on the Xbox Series X, so it might be a game worth revisiting. Yeah, give it give, maybe like a, an article in that. Mm -hmm. uh, John Connor gives five Canadian dollars. Says, what are your, your thoughts on Nintendo IP continuation? I feel Mario is mostly the same, but Zelda has had some refreshing variation. Well, we've been over that, John Connor. But yeah. I would argue Mario usually uh, refreshes itself. As you we were saying, Pokemon is the thing that's been stagnant. But Mario yeah. Odyssey, that felt like a natural sort of uh, progression of the tentpole concept. I've said before, and I'm still putting money on this, the next innovation will be full-on open-world Mario. You think that's going to work well? They were testing the waters with uh, Bowser's Fury. And I think like the logical uh, progression from Mario Odyssey is the same, but all the worlds are like connected to each other in a huge open world. Do you think people are going to like that? Well, that remains to be seen. But yeah. uh, that's my theory, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> They've, the tentpole Mario's have always sort of expanded uh, the core uh, concept in some way. And I <laughs> feel gonna, like that's the only gonna, way they can go at this point. We're going to get the, uh, the Breath of the Wild like trailer from Mario with Peach's castle off in the distance there you go <laughs> just like bowser's like helicopter circling around it yeah in the distance God damn it. that's exactly what's going to happen now and you yeah. know it <laughs> yep but in space though gives five dollars says read pokemon in thumbnail could doing the b stroke w move work a second time scrapping all pokemon and only using new ones seems like a one-time thing to me you know you'd probably enjoy all those indie pokemons that are coming out but in space though we've been talking about most most people's criticism of those is that the art of those games just can't match Pokemon. If you like, in terms of in terms of creature design, I think after a while, like Pokemon all sort of blur together for me. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's the nostalgia doing all the heavy work there, really, over the actual yeah. creature designs. But I don't know, like yeah, I mean, every Pokemon since Black and White has what tried to have like the full roster in there because people's nostalgia is so strong that all those yeah. creatures have to be there. Yeah, yeah. So I've got to pile them all in. Perhaps they should do Pokemon Odyssey. Mm. Have like multiple different sandboxes with different generations of Pokemon in each one. Yeah. Alex Warrenberg gave us $5 and says, maybe they're making games because they have to be up to date with the tech or the graphics. Leave for years. Now you need to learn everything again. I feel like, you know, for a while now, the basic way we play games has sort of plateaued. There was a lot of controller innovation for a while. Uh, Nintendo then were sort of like the only ones doing controller innovation, but and pretty much everyone else is sort of stuck to dual stick controllers or mouse and keyboard. 
And if you want to see like innovation in games, you want to there's got to be some innovation in the way we play them first. VR, <laughs> like the, the the shift from two D to three D graphics was like a quantum leap. Sort of killed half the genres and invented fifteen more. Yeah, if you're finishing, uh, and that's never going to happen death. again, is it? Yeah, does Death Stranding felt like? I mean, I'm, I'm gonna keep talking about it for a bit, but it just felt like the most innovative open world design I've I've played. Even that was sort of applying the lessons of existing games. Oh, absolutely. Uh, but just the way you move through that world, uh, it, it felt like the first game that I've played that really felt like a true adventure. Yeah. Not, you know, like I had to think about how I was going to get over the mountain before I go to the mountain. And in most games, it's like, well, is the terrain error, is the slope too steep that my character won't move up it? <laughs> you know, it's, it's one of those things you don't see so much after like action adventure games became like the the de rigueur thing where everything was just broad and was trying to appeal to everyone you don't see mm -hmm. so much of the like the pure traversal games that in the olden days you know games where you're just like going down infinite causeway like forever like sky roads or something mm -hmm. and uh like neon white i'd say would be an example of like a pure traversal game in the modern age but you don't see so much of it these days because everything's got to have their token combat or their token, you know, crafting mechanic. Yeah. And when you really just focus on one thing like traversal, like getting across like a, a mountain, that's where you can make something that, that really feels fresh. Well, that and just, you know, you got to have uh, X amount of combat encounters in this amount of time because people's attention span can't, you know, yeah. <laughs> last more than 30 seconds without finding something new in the world. I always and think so of then that everything new becomes, you know, just generic copy-pasted stuff. I always think of that when I'm playing Ghost Train Ride-style games like the new Tomb Raiders or Uncharted. It always feels like, after a while, it feels like some al hidden algorithm has gone, oh, too much time has passed since the last action thing happened. Platform collapses under you for no reason. <laughs> yep. Uh, Paul Dolby gives one pound and says nothing. Oh, wait, he said something under that. He said, you'd probably like Ballistic Zen if you're into indie first-person movement. Ballistic I, Zen. I've never, never heard, heard of that. that. Someone look that up. Ballistic Zen. Well, while you're doing that, uh, Gildan Yetich gives $5. It says, franchises are perilous for innovation because they're afraid of alienating their fans. Then time moves on and the current devs forget why it worked. Well, as I said before, look at Mario for an example of someone that doesn't give a shit about alienating established fans. And that's basically their success story. Mm. You reminded me of like the problem with shit like uh, the Doctor Who reboot. Because I think if you reboot something after a certain amount of time, the people making it are just fans. Fans of the original. I think you, you could say this happened to Star Wars as well. And when that happens, uh, the things they bring out always feels like it's a little bit too much in love with itself. Because it was made by people who were in love with it. I mean, the original Doctor Who, Doctor Who was sort of like this, you know, quixotic, doddering figure. That uh, who's half this technology you couldn't really rely upon, and the reboot happened, and everyone who made it had like grown up watching Doctor Who. So Doc suddenly Doctor Who was all about being this awesome, cool guy who's great at everything. 
and incredibly smart because we love him so much. Well, that's, I feel like that's what happens with like a lot of these nostalgia projects. Like people want to relive, relive those memories, yeah. and then that's too close, and it doesn't actually do anything new. Well, there you go. You would have a fun conversation with Darren because he hates that. Oh. <laughs> Well, he, I, he is he's railing against the the new Star Trek stuff because he don't like any of it. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely giving a, giving off the same vibes. Mm-hmm. It's reanimating a corpse. Yep. But Django gives five dollars and says, "New off the cuff games that are super creative really need to make a comeback." Hi-Fi Rush is a breath of fresh air in that regard. To be honest, you play more indie games, but Django, for fuck's sake, you'd been yeah, saying that about Neon White last year. That's what uh, I feel like so many people say, like the industry is devoid of new ideas, but it's just like you got to expand your... your well, that's your, the trouble, isn't it? It's the AAA stuff that gets all the attention so that the, the people who, are in, who, don't, who aren't like in, like us, yeah. the only ones they hear about are shit like Call of Duty and Assassin's Creed. Well, but Django follows us. Why aren't you watching three-minute reviews? There's new games yeah. in there all the time. Asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Friedrich Redcat gives 5.99 euros and says, this one's for Nick. Thanks for putting ZP on Spotify. You're welcome. also thank Matt Laughlin for going back through and audio balancing and fixing all that. Hmm. Yeah, if you want uh, if you want something to happen, basically just badger Nick about it for several years and eventually it happens. Maybe the uh, video player on the site will stop being shit. <laughs> eventually. I'm working on that too. <laughs> yeah, we've we've all been working on that for quite a while, haven't we? Well, we don't have a parent company that actively roots against us anymore, so um, well for now that helps. <laughs> yeah. Uh Kwok Yu Tsang, probably pronounced that horribly, sorry. Member for nine months in early access says indies are necessary for AAA games to copy ideas. Yeah, I said. I don't I don't I don't mind I don't mind when a AAA studio like copies an indie's idea as long as it builds and improves on it like yeah. I, I also like, be, well, i yeah. don't mind if yeah. companies like valve hire the developers of indie yes, games with innovative ideas and get them to make AAA games like what happened with yeah. portal that's cool too yeah like i'm, I'm waiting for the day that a triple a dev like takes phasmophobia hires that team and gives them the budget and i mean those guys have to have a shit ton of money with how many people have bought that game but you know a he's, team yeah, experience yeah he's into really gelled with that yeah, I, I think it's a, a super unique concept and we've been, my friends and I have been trying, you know, the copycat games and none of them like really hit what Phasmophobia does. And mm. like, I I just want to see a bigger budget for that type of game with better animations and more, you know, better designed. And, and I was like, it's a winning formula. Like it's one of those things yeah. where. I do like you know, it's sort of a deductive central gameplay. Yeah. I mean, your your last uh, X punctuation was on detective games. And I yeah. Phasmophobia is exactly that. You should play my game, The Consuming Shadow. That's all about eliminating possibilities to deduce the identity of something as well. I will. I have to get around to that and all your books. Although it does look like crap. Yeah, Mr. Thinks he can work. produce can one work of my games game. without <laughs> having played all my other ones. Man, you know what? I'll, I'll play your games and I will give you the uh, financial spreadsheets that I got to do. How about that? Uh, that, seems, that seems like a good trade-off. I used to work in data validation before I, before I, you know, took off. How do you hate it? <laughs> I actually liked data validation because uh, I could just enter a load of data with one hand and work on my novel with the other. 
I, I don't I don't know how you multitask like that, and it bothers well, I say, me. Well, what will I say that? <laughs> I, what I did was I'd like enter a page of numbers, and I'd alt tab out to Microsoft Word and write a page. Because if you do, because <laughs> when you work data entry, in my experience, people yeah. people love you for taking it off their hands. They insist you take as many breaks as you want. Yeah. I remember, I remember in high school, I was taking accounting classes, and we didn't get to use the computer for that. We had to do it all by paper because, like, oh, this is the way to learn it. And I'm like, what do you mean? I can just type all these numbers in the computer, and it does it for me. Yeah. Well, you won't always have a calculator on you, will you? Oh, wait. Oh, yeah, our cell phone. <laughs> Four years later, your cell phone has them on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Chrono Lucas gives $10 and says, Nintendo probably gives some of its franchises too much of a break. I'd kill for a new Star Fox game or a new F-Zero. You got a new Star Fox game, Chrono Lucas. You got Star Fox Zero, and it was shit. <laughs> so what now? What now, Chrono Lucas? Feel, I feel like Nintendo... That's what I love about Nintendo is like they're not afraid to put their franchises on a break or take the time they need to get it right. Because mm. I feel like it, we'll see. Uh, but that Metroid Prime game has been in development forever, mm. rebooted and stuff until they get it right. Like I feel like Nintendo won't release one of their star IPs if it's okay. Well, it, well you just had Star Fox Zero yeah. shit, so I'm wrong. <laughs> so. I mean, in theory, it's good to have be exacting like that, but then you end up in a situation like Valve where they've developed like a game in the last 10 years because they yeah. keep getting dissatisfied and canceling projects. Do you, do you think they will ever finish Half-Life 3? Do you think they'll ever do no. anything? No. Unless there's something like what I'm talking about where there's like a massive quantum leap in the way games are made and played. I don't think we're going to see a Half-Life 3 because Half-Life all the Half-Life games up to up to then uh, uh, were sort of innovators. They were sort of pushing quantum leaps in uh, game technology. Yeah, Half Life well, was like the first. Alex was a quantum leap in VR games. Well, and that's the tr well, the trouble with VR is its niche. Yeah, Half Life Two was like uh, pioneered physics engines, and that was like the future. Maybe that's what Half Life Three will be: is the next push for physics engines and games. It's just you know. They, they just need something that completely reinvents video games. That yeah. reinvents the way you make video games. And it's hard to think of what that could be. But that's probably because, you know, we're not smart enough to figure it out. Still, I, they got to be working on something because they brought in, they, they acquired Campo Santo, who made. Uh, They're always uh, working on Firewatch. something. But yeah. as I say, a lot of it just doesn't see the light of day. That's true. Uh, Dale Hicks gives $10 a dollars and says, do AAA companies intentionally take four to seven years to develop games to create like a financial drip feed of sustainability due to review culture? Can't mess up if you don't make anything. Hmm. Relevant. Hmm. I think because like modern technology has such high demands for like a AAA level of uh, technology. Yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't... <laughs> I feel like most AAA games would take that long if, you know, like they didn't do crunch culture and everything. Mm. They just they're just so big. I'd, that's that's another trend. I'm wondering if like we we're moving away from like I'm gonna be really curious to see at the smaller scope of Assassin's Creed Mirage how that does mm. because it is smaller scope and it's not this gigantic open world with copy pasted stuff everywhere. 
I'd be interested in seeing and how it would how it would uh, fare if they didn't slap the Assassin's Creed name onto it. Assassin's Creed Mirage is more of an Assassin's Creed game <laughs> than any of the other Assassin's Creed games. Well, maybe <laughs> it's got a it's got a named character and it's going back to its Ooh, what assassination roots. It, what if they called it Prince of Persia Mirage? Oh boy, what do you think would happen yeah. then? Well, anyway, that guy, you know, gives $5 and says, From what I've seen, I think the Halo TV writer's room never looked at what made Halo Halo and instead wanted to make a Mass Effect TV show instead. They wouldn't even have made a mass, good Mass Effect TV show. No, they just... Their whole their whole justification for the show is that we're making our own timeline called the Silver Timeline and it's going to pull elements of Halo and blah, 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 blah. And they tried to make Master Chief more of a character. And it's like, that's not... <laughs> Well, it's not Mass Effect without masses of alien sex, if you ask me. Oh, there, there. Master Chief gets his bone on in the show. But does he get his bone on with aliens? Uh, no. <laughs> I've decided I don't want to know. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> it's just it's a dumb show. Anyway, uh, Kid Barchetta gives five dollars and says. How does Persona fit in? Decently spaced out games, but new versions in between. Also, I died to Shadow Yosuke three times. Should I feel bad? Dr. Feelgood. Shadow Yosuke? What, the tutorial fight? Yes, you should feel bad, Dr. Feelgood. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Persona's fine. You know, there's what, five games over how many years? Well, quite. But, you know, they don't just make them because they feel like they have to be constantly making them, I guess. Yeah. A, a, a healthy attitude, in other words. Maybe they'll make Persona 6 because they haven't made it yet because they haven't come up with an idea for Persona 6, and that's fine. Don't tell Marty that. He might have a stroke. Be, I think Persona 5 would be hard to top, thinking about it. But, uh, you know, I've been proved wrong before. Connor Stillwell. Sorry, what? You don't, you don't think a sequel will like, really dive into those uh, character relationship mechanics and expand on that mostly? Mm. Seems like they got the combat down. Seems like everybody loved Royal's combat system. Yeah. Maybe they could make open world Persona. Oh boy. Then Your favorite. Connor Stillwell gives five pounds and says, Yahtzee, finally got this live. Just want to say I love your work. Will Save the Galaxy is one of my favorite books. Thanks for everything, man. Well, you'll want to check out the third installment of the trilogy, which, whose dra first draft I recently finished. So that'll be coming out probably late this year. In audiobook form, as is usually the case, because I have this deal with Audible where they get their version first and the print version comes six months down the line. I don't know how you're doing this job writing a book, making a gay man, raising two kids. Well, because I always wanted to be a novelist. <laughs> and a game it's, maker. I, I, and I've always wanted to be a game maker. I do it out of passion for the things I yeah. want to do. I imagine yeah. it would probably destroy me if it felt like work. Yeah, like that's I said, true. Like I said, when I was making Dev Diary, I was able to do that because... Making games is my hobby, and it's the thing I do outside of work anyway. Your hobby shouldn't feel like work, because your hobby is the thing you do instead of work. Mm -hmm. 
Attic Salt, member for six months in early access, says, do you think if Half-Life 3 comes out, it will be a VR game? Well, no. you could argue it did, and it was a VR game. So there you go. I guess the Half-Life Alex was definitely setting up future installments of Half-Life. Yeah, I mean, the end of it definitely, I mean, it's a cliffhanger well, it's, ending yeah, pretty much. In the end, it's an in-universe retcon for having written themselves into a corner at the end of episode two. Mm-hmm. So they've definitely got plans. I almost, I'm, as much as I would like to see a Half-Life 3, I almost want them to just do a new IP. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it would get headlines. I mean, if Valve brought out a new IP, whatever it was, it would get headlines. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan Lee gives four ninety nine says thanks for the years. Your quality and variety of content reminds me of the early a- of the easy allies. I almost said early access. My <laughs> eyes were sort of blurred, drifting off of it, and it, that's just what it looked like. Have you heard of Stroke? Had contact with them? No, I have not. I've, I I know who they are. Uh, we haven't had contact with them. Uh, okay, collaborations is something we want to do more of this year. Maybe I'll look them up. And uh, Chuck Chikovsky gives four ninety nine dollars and says, Yasi, would you ever want to see Will Save the Galaxy adapted to television or film? <laughs> not only would want to see, but have been actively working towards Chuck Chikovsky, but there's not much I can say at this point. Ooh. Let's just say a screenplay is in the works. Ooh. That's exciting. I'm working with some film insider types. It's not, it's not just me trying to write a screenplay, because that's not really, I don't really consider that one of my skills. But uh, I'm working with like some uh, enthusiastic people in the industry who have really got their mindset on an, um, adapting uh, my book. Yeah. So there you go. Well, uh, was when I'm going to write a book, microwave chicken and other sumptuous recipes. <laughs> well, I say everyone's got one book in them. What would yeah. yours be? Do you want to like? Do you want to write like a like a Halo lore? No, a Halo lore book. No, I don't want to deal with angry fans if I fuck it up. Fuck it up. I would want to do something unique and new. What would you? So, what would you write if you were inclined to? Would, do you want to write fiction or non-fiction first? I, w- I would write a fiction book. I've always had an idea in my head for like some sort of grounded fantasy fiction book, but I'm not. I'm not the most creative writer. The the problem with how we've ran the escape is like I haven't written much in the last five years, so four or five years now. So going back to writing is kind of like yeah. Well, (laughs) writing a review every week for fifteen years certainly helped my writing ability keep ticking over. Yep. When I I I was running only SP, I was writing ten, fifteen news stories a day. So I've thought about writing a nonfiction book, just sort of on gaming, not like Stephen King's on writing, but on gaming. I feel I feel like a nonfiction book on yeah gaming and how it ties in the game's criticism would be a very interesting read. I don't know. Maybe just like uh, write some kind of dry academic thesis on my ideas of uh, the role of interactive narrative and the unique qualities of interactive narratives that make it interesting. You know what? You know know. What's oh, shit. You know what I just remembered. Remember. Uh, when I was back on a slightly something else podcast with you like a long time ago, we were both supposed to play and finish Death, Death Stranding. Oh yeah, and uh, <laughs> I didn't get around to it. Yeah, I kind of forgot about that until this very moment. I'm like, oh, yeah. I did that. 
See, I installed it on my PS4. I started playing it, but my PS4 uh, doesn't have like a PlayStation Now subscription because, you know, I've long resisted adding that on to the list of things I'm subscribed to, and it's sort of a matter of principle at this point. Yeah. And I feel like the game loses something if you don't play it online. Uh, uh, kind of, yeah. Uh, the, the, it finally clicked for me uh, when I did not play it on normal difficulty because I hate the inventory management of that game, mm. and I, I don't like the combat or the stealth sections. But I love the adventure part of it, and so I, I played it on very easy, and it clicked with me almost right away. Because it takes, just to get through the first three episodes of the game, like episode three is like 10 hours on its own, mm. but on the easiest difficulty, I was able like I was able to complete the game in 26 hours. Yeah, those and boss it, fights with Mad Mickelson always felt like a bit of a sticking point. Uh, yeah. Yeah, none of, none of the, I don't like any of the combat in that game, yeah. so... Once I once I whittled it down to the elements that I loved, then it, it I was I couldn't put it down. Well, let's hope they learn something for Death Stranding too, because because this could be a th another thief, couldn't it? Because when Thief One came out, they weren't entirely convinced that the stealthing through dark castles could carry the game, so they put in a load of like monster fighting and combat based stuff, and yeah. nobody liked it. So when Thief Two came out, it was basically all sneaky stealthing through big castles, and everybody loved it. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm hoping for. Like, mm. like I like the delivery aspect and and you know keeping your packages safe and everything. But oh well, if you like delivering packages, a gameplay mechanic, I've got a upcoming release you might be interested in. <laughs> anyway, Patrick Paulia gives ten Canadian dollars and says, "Huge fan of the content. Are you planning to do more reviews for simulation stroke strategy games?" I think the issue with that, Patrick Paulia, is a that they're niche, and b you kind of have to play games like that for a long time to be able to review them. Yeah, I, I've always had trouble finding people that even want to review those games because if you only review it on a surface level, everybody hates you for it. Yeah. <laughs> so you either, yeah. either have to commit to it and stick with it for a long time. Yeah, welcome to my point of review. Uh, yeah. No, he obviously only played the first 20 <laughs> hours of it. Uh, obviously, he's not committed. <laughs> What, what review was that most recently you were getting yelled at for that? I think it was... Uh, uh, take your pick. There's like 500 reviews yeah. that happened. Yeah, I, I still see comments every day in there about one that you just didn't stick that long with and everybody's like mad about it. Can't remember well, which one it was. God of War, maybe? Marvel's yeah. Midnight Suns? I don't know. Gotham Knights? <laughs> take take your pick. Been, You're right. Might have been Midnight Suns. Anyway. Uh, back in Nam four ninety nine says make a stretch goal to stream hard space ship breaker. I'm interested to see how the escapist crew would dismantle ships. Well, we could add it to the list. We've still got yep. adventure is live as the goal right now. Seventy six percent though, well on the way. Yes, uh, the uh, first stream of that will be next week, I believe, where they're going to do the the post wrap on Adventure is Nice season two, which you are of course welcome to join. <gasps> yeah, we've got a we've got a leveling up episode that we've already recorded and we're probably gonna do another live stream like we did after season one. Just to answer questions and talk about how we felt it went. Mm -hmm. yeah, Alright. Well. Yes, yeah, so if they added multiplayer to Hard Space Ship Regular. I don't think they did. Nah. I wouldn't really uh, vibe with the sort of post dad game chill out thing. Anyway, 
Uh, well, thanks for watching, stroke listening to slightly something else with Nick, because Marty's ill. I was Yancy Groveshaw. Uh, what have we got coming up this week? Obviously, we've got Zero Punctuation on Wednesday in the post-CP stream. Yep. And yeah. uh, I know a lot of people are expecting Forspoken. That won't be till next week because of my usual schedule issues. This week, we'll, I'm playing Sailing Era, which was yeah, like the one thing I sort of latched on to during a, the sort of down week in the middle of January. I would say I was surprised to see you try to pick that one, but also it's a sailing game, so no, not really. Yeah, I know. I'm sort of <laughs> playing up that aspect a bit. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you can check out the uh, newest episode of Cold Take, which just dropped for everybody. It's on uh, how modders are kind of just expected to fix AAA games and why that's kind of insidious. Mm. Uh, and then uh, tomorrow you'll get the new design delve episode on difficulty systems in games and how they're broken and boring. Uh, which I fully agree with. Oh, yeah, uh, I was talking to Jermaine about that on the uh, Pentiment stream. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, this weekend for early access members and above, you'll be getting the level up episode for Adventures Night Season 2. So Ooh. you'll get to see. I don't know if you guys showed. I haven't gotten to watch it yet, but I don't. Do you guys show your character sheets in it finally? No, because if we <laughs> did. Like, it's already made forever. Well, if we did that, it would uh, kind of spoil some things. Ah, oh, for season three. Well, no, it's just that uh, Mortimer specifically is a character who's very shady and cagey about his backstory. Ah, and I gotcha. uh, there's a reason for that that we've been been teasing the, for like the entire series. Okay, so no character sheet for you, uh, and then uh, a new extra punctuation should be up this Thursday for members too, I believe. Oh yes, that as well. And a new in the frame will be out today for members as well. And another point. and another stream of Sea of Thieves on Thursday with me and Nick and Jack and Marty. If Marty's feeling better by then. Yes, we are going to hunt the Kraken this week. Oh yes, you promised that. Oh yeah. But things We're are fun. fun gonna finally get away from digging up treasure chests and getting killed by other players. Yep. And then uh lastly, don't forget to check the website. Uh it's really on the up and up. We're really Really happy with the numbers. Uh, and on the 1st of February, we will be announcing three brand new columns coming to the site. Christ on a bike. Yes, three new columns from three new writers uh, covering a bunch of subjects that you will probably be interested in. So make sure to check out the website because lots of good content there too, along with the YouTube. Alrighty. Well, Ain't no shortage of distraction from our horror, our horrific shared existence this week. <laughs> so I'll just say, see you all on Wednesday then. Bye. Bye Here's a cute doggy who's just figured out he's about to be taken for a walk. I don't know where my dogs are. Probably breaking something. Bye, everyone. <laughs>